Welcome to Get Paid for Your Pad, the definitive show on Airbnb hosting, featuring the best advice on how to maximize profits from your Airbnb listing, as well as real-life experiences from Airbnb hosts all over the world. Welcome. Get paid for your pad. 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 This episode is brought to you by Hostfully, a company that helps you make beautiful guidebooks for your listing. Make your own at hostfully.com slash pad. And as a special for Get Paid for Your Pad listeners, you'll get a free guidebook consultation after you make your guidebook. Welcome back to another episode of Get Paid for Your Pad. And today I have a very experienced Airbnb super host on the show. And he has a lot of great tips and tricks to share He started in 2011. He has 450 reviews. He's a super host in San Diego. And so I'm very excited to have on the show, Mr. John Anderson. Hey, Jasper. How's it going? It's going well, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. Uh, Another lovely day in San Diego. And I've been a listener for a long time. I really enjoy the podcast. So I'm happy to be a guest on it today. And hopefully I can share some interesting and informative information. Yeah, absolutely. I think you definitely will be able to add a lot of value. We had a little chat before we started recording, and I think the main topic of today is going to be around how to over-deliver versus the expectations that you set on your Airbnb listing. I think that's a great strategy to get really good reviews and to get the right people in your Airbnb, like mentioning the things that people might not like and coming up with some surprises that people don't expect. So I think you can say under-promise and over-deliver seems to be a strategy that you've taken on. And I think that's a really good strategy. So very excited to dig in and learn more about how you've applied that. Great. Yeah, that sounds good. Before we get into that, what's going on in San Diego? You've told me there's some council meetings and some regulatory changes that might be coming up as of right now. I think San Diego is one of the most Airbnb-friendly places in the US where there's not a lot of regulation yet, but that might change in the future. What's going on exactly? Yeah, so in the political scene, the city council here in San Diego has been debating the role of short-term rentals, which here is defined as stays of less than 30 days. Similar to many other cities and municipalities around the world and in the US. And so I've been involved for the past approximately three years. And supposedly next week on December 12th, the city council here is going to hear a number of proposals and set some new rules on the books. Basically, right now there are no rules. And so it's kind of existed in a gray area where it's not really clear what you can and can't do. And it's kind of created a lot of tension. But hopefully, the city council will be able to come to a consensus and and put some rules on the books that allow short-term rentals to remain and allow hosts like myself and so many others here to continue in this activity and to continue to welcome guests from around the world to our great city. Is there a lot of opposition against Airbnb hosts in San Diego? It's been a heated debate. So whether it's in the newspaper or at community meetings, there's a group that's anti-short-term rentals you could say. And then there's a group that's the pro short-term rentals. That's a group I helped co-found, which is called the Short-Term Rental Alliance of San Diego. And so our website is strasd.org. If people 
in San Diego that our other hosts are looking to be involved. It's a great website to find out about upcoming meetings, get on our email list in case there's something coming up that's important to attend. But yeah, it's been pretty heated. There's signs in people's front yards. Some of these meetings have got quite tense with raised voices and, and such. But hopefully, if we have clear rules, which is the goal, that'll go away and everybody can operate in a cordial and, and responsible and respectful manner. Awesome. So let's hope that the decisions will be Airbnb friendly enough for the San Diego Airbnb host to continue welcoming people from all around the world. Let's go back in time a little bit. You joined Airbnb in July 2011 at a time when not a lot of people knew about Airbnb. Yeah, I'm an accountant by trade, a chartered accountant, or in the, the US, it's a CPA, a certified public accountant. And so when I first joined Airbnb, we were expecting our first child. We had just bought our first home. And I saw this mention on a website, asked some of my coworkers what they thought. I was like, this sounds like an amazing idea. Because at the time, we'd bought a house that had four bedrooms, expecting to have children in the near future. But there was only the two of us at that time. So all my coworkers told me it sounded like a crazy idea. They would never do it. And they had no idea why anyone would want to engage in that sort of activity. But I was quite curious about it. So I created a listing, created a profile, and started welcoming guests into a spare room in our home. And it was amazing. We did that for approximately eight months. During that period, I actually quit my full-time job. So I've been a, a housekeeper or a house homemaker for the past six years with our now two children. Our experience on Airbnb has been great. We ended up moving out of that home. And we specifically were looking for a home that had a second unit on it to do Airbnb because we had such a good experience, as well as we're from the Midwestern area of the United States. I'm from Kansas and my wife's from Minnesota. So all of our family and many of our friends live quite far away. In addition to it, it being a good financial opportunity, it was also providing flexibility to welcome people that we already knew to come to San Diego and, and visit us more regularly than they might be able to if we were having to find a hotel or other accommodation for them. Awesome. So let's dive into some of the advice that you want to share today. Let's start with the description and the photos. What I've noticed on your listings, I've gone through them. And one thing I noticed is that you mentioned the things that people might not like about your listing. And I think that's a great idea. I think that's something that people often overlook. How many listings do you have currently, by the way? So I currently have two listings. One of them is mostly not a short-term rental. It's mostly like a half-year stays, but it is an active listing. And then I co-host one listing for a friend that lives near my home. So currently, there's three active listings on my profile. We also have a couple of non-active profiles, like our primary home. When we travel, we'll occasionally list that. So it's not active currently. But that is another profile we have, as well as an extra bedroom in our current home that we occasionally rent, but not, not regularly. So it's not active currently. Got it. Okay, let's get into the descriptions and the photos. Sure. And I actually didn't have a term for this, but in your intro, I kind of like the way that you said it, under promise and over deliver. So what this is about is I think many people, when they start on Airbnb, they'll create a listing and then you can get professional photos, which I believe Airbnb still provides for you. They'll bring in a professional photographer, which is great. The photos look excellent. It takes a lot of the pain points out of creating a new listing when you know you're going to have something that looks really nice and somebody else is, is going to do photos that many of us aren't able to do on our own to the same quality level. But what I found is that for me, the professional photos almost put it in too good of a light. 
and it was kind of a fisheye lens look, or perhaps it, it made the room look brighter or larger than it really was. And so I got rid of the professional photo and just took my own photos on my smartphone to put up there. I thought it presented a more realistic view. And similarly with the description, instead of just pointing out the main highlights of the neighborhood and all the great things about the space, I do include that, but I have very prominently all the negative things or the potentially negative things so that I'm trying to ensure that it's a good fit for anybody that comes. And this might be a bit unique to San Diego where there's a very high demand for people traveling here, but I think it's applicable to many other areas as well. For instance, in mine, we live in an urban neighborhood and some people are traveling from areas that might be rural or might be medium-sized cities. So things like the homes being located close together or dogs being present in the neighborhood or we're a few blocks away from a relatively busy bar and restaurant area. So just pointing out that occasionally there will be people leaving those areas late at night. You know, maybe they've had a good time. They're a little bit loud. Parking. I don't consider our area to have bad parking or difficult parking. But if you're coming from an area where it's never an issue... People might not expect that. And so I point out that parking can be an issue. And what I've found is that over time, those sort of warnings or those sort of under-promising can make sure that the people that do arrive are going to have a good experience because what they find in reality is going to be better than how it was presented on the app or on the website. Do you think you miss out on bookings by being so upfront about what people might not like and by you know, taking your pictures with a smartphone? I think that was a concern when I considered doing it. But what I've found is that my biggest challenges as a host, and we can go into this later, have been occasionally you'll have a guest who shows up and it's just not a good fit. The neighborhood isn't a good fit or the property itself or whatever it is. And I don't want anyone to show up and have a very negative experience of my neighborhood or my property or San Diego in general. I want, like you said, under promise and over deliver. And so even if I'm missing one or two bookings, say a month or something, I haven't found that it's caused my occupancy to go down. I use a pricing tool beyond pricing. And so it shows me on a monthly basis what my occupancy levels are. And I haven't noticed any meaningful difference since I've taken this approach. And especially with the uh, listing that I co-host for another person where I don't have the same control over the furnishings or the landscaping... I found that it's very helpful in that because I can't go and if the guest has a problem with the linens or if the stove is maybe a bit dated, I can't go and replace those things. It's not my call, but I can still call them out in terms of this is a classic stove or this is a stove that fits the 1950s aesthetic of the building that really lets the person know what to expect. They don't show up and then they're like, oh, this is less than I anticipated, which I think is kind of the goal. You, you want to make sure that you're meeting and exceeding the overall expectations for any of your guests. Right. And it's an interesting topic because if you underpromise and you overdeliver, you might get fewer bookings in advance because you know you're not sort of selling your place as well as you could be doing. But then at the same time, the experiences are going to be really good, right? The guests that are staying at your place are going to have a really good experience. And, and as a result, you're going to get really good reviews and really good ratings, which in turn will lead to more bookings. So it's kind of interesting to think about like what effect would be larger. And so from your experience, it seems that the amount of bookings that you get from having such good reviews probably outweighs the few bookings that you may lose where people look at your listing and they're like, okay, maybe this is not a good fit. But then again, you don't really want to host those people in the first place, right? I mean, I think for Airbnb as a platform, 
what really the purpose is, is to match demand with supply as efficiently and as best as the platform can. And you know, using the strategy that you use really goes in line with that purpose, I think. Yeah, I would agree. And an important aspect of Airbnb is is the review system. And so I think that not only are you going to have people that aren't canceling or some sort of dramatic negative outcome, but you're going to have I think on average, higher reviews, which really impacts whether you're a super host or not, the search results for your listing. Another thing about that is that when you have a person that has a good fit with your property, has a good experience, there's a lot of times where you can get repeat customers, people that are going to come back seasonally or annually. And so San Diego is a good example where Phoenix, Las Vegas, Los Angeles are all a short drive away between two and five hours. And so many people coming from those areas, whether it's for a concert or to visit family, could be potential repeat customers, but you're only going to get a repeat customer if it's a really good fit. And so I think that's another thing where by under-promising and over-delivering, you're going to encourage those people to come back. And it's great for both of you because when your guest has a good experience, it feels so much more comfortable for you as a host, especially if you're on the property, than when you kind of get the sense that, oh, they're not having a great time. That's just not a comfortable feeling. I think that that's important. And it's kind of counterintuitive strategy, right? Because like, as you mentioned, when you first start hosting on Airbnb, your listing is kind of like your sales page. So people are sort of naturally inclined to you know, represent their property as best as they can. That's true. And I'm sure for starting out hosts, when you don't have any reviews and you're trying to get that first booking or that first 10 bookings, maybe the strategy isn't the best for you. But as you get more accustomed to it, I think it really pays dividends over time, whether that's recurring guests the other thing I do with recurring guests is I use a Viva IQ per the recommendations that you've given. And so when any guest checks out, they get a thank you message and they get an invitation to come back along with the link to each of my listings, the listings I personally host, as well as those that I co-host. And so that enables them to have those links and share with friends or family that are coming to San Diego or they simply have that in their email so that they can go back to it. Oh, what was that great place in San Diego? go back to that message and it's right there. Because most people don't remember the name of the listing or the listing link, or they don't save it necessarily. But when they have that message, I think it really triggers it when they're thinking about coming back. It puts you at the top of their list for what they're looking for. That's really smart to include the links to your other listings. Because if I would stay with an Airbnb host and I have a great experience, then I'd be more interested in staying at their other listings as well, because you would assume like that experience would be great too. Yeah, exactly. I, I would totally agree with that. The other thing about over-delivering, a small thing that I do is when guests arrive, I give them items or small upgrades, if you will, that I don't include on the listing. So San Diego is a big beer town. We have quite a few craft breweries here. And so each guest that arrives in the fridge, I have two cold local beers, fresh local beers, usually from the neighborhood so they can try it. And then they can go to the brewery itself if they enjoy that. Similarly, local fresh coffee I provide to every guest, as well as bicycles so that people can experience the city. <laughs> You're from Amsterdam. San Diego isn't quite there, but I do think that anywhere that you travel, walking or biking is the best way to experience it. And so I think that's another unexpected thing that really exceeds guest expectations and, and is a nice like bump up rather than putting everything in the description. And when they get there... Maybe it doesn't measure up for one reason or another, or they thought it would be you know, a six-pack of beer and it's only two. So instead of it being a good thing, it's seen as a negative thing. And so I think not including it in the description and then presenting it to them as a small gift when they arrive is a really meaningful thing to build goodwill 
and make sure that you start off on the right foot with anybody that's staying at your place. Right. And then if the guests do experience some minor issues, especially things that are out of your control, like let's say there's some noise, then that will really help against those guests leaving, uh, leaving you a bad review. Yeah, totally agree. I really like the idea of providing a few things that you don't announce. Because if you think about the six-pack of beer, right? No one's going to stay at an Airbnb because the host is supplying that, right? It's not a major thing, but it's it does create a special experience where the guest feels welcome and the guest feels like, hey, this person has thought about you know, how to give me something extra. It's just a really nice gesture that I think will go a long way at a very low cost. So I think that's a great advice. Yeah, and that's a great point that putting it in your listing is not going to get you another stay. People are looking at the description overall, the neighborhood, the price point. So I think that's a good way to phrase it. Is that it's not helping you get another booking, but it's helping you make each booking a little bit better for the guest. Awesome. Host, I can't emphasize how important it is to share recommendations of things to do or eat near your listing beforehand. Your guests won't have to go through TripAdvisor, Foursquare, or Yelp. They won't have to scratch their head and think about possible places right in the moment. I've been using Hostfully to create an online and printable guidebook to show my guests my favorite coffee places in Amsterdam. They use my recommendations and I'm getting fewer questions from my guests as a result. I've also included screenshots of my guidebook on my Airbnb listing as a way to differentiate my listing from others. So make your own guidebook at hostfully.com slash pad. What about amenities? You've mentioned before to me that you're really keen on you know, providing the best amenities available. So what are those? Yeah. So I think when I started, I was thinking about what I enjoyed as a guest. And so there are some things that I found guests enjoyed that were a bit unique, like a large bookcase full of books that they could take or leave, including some tour books for the area. So that was something that I provided because I enjoyed it. But I didn't think about things that guests might like that I necessarily don't. So in our home, we don't have air conditioning. San Diego is quite temperate. And so I didn't include it in the listing because it didn't even cross my mind that guests would want that. But you have people coming from different areas and different comfort levels. And so I think that going above your own expectations or even above your average guest expectations in terms of the amenities on the property is a really good idea. And it helps if you do that from the start because it avoids potential issues where you didn't provide something that the guest was looking for. And so with my property specifically, air conditioning is one that I include. And I really like the mini split systems. I don't know if you're familiar with those, but they are the combination air conditioning and heat. And they're mounted on the wall typically. So it's one remote for both heating functions. In the States, especially in older properties, it's not uncommon to have the radiator or the heater separate from the AC system. And so I think that that mini split system is a really clean and easy to use way to do that, that guests aren't confused by how to turn on the heat or how to turn down the temperature. Uh, Another thing is cable TV. I personally don't have cable TV, but I found that many guests want to watch sporting events live or their favorite sitcom. And so I include cable TV with my listing. Similarly with Netflix and, and movie options, I think that that just is another small thing. Maybe it costs you... With Netflix, it's $10 a month. With cable, it might be $50 to $100 a month. Even if you have one guest a month that's enjoying that amenity, or that that was an amenity that helped them make the decision to book with you, it's well worth it. And also with furnishings. I found that guests tend to like 
soft beds. At first, I thought medium would be best, just like Goldilocks right in the middle. But what I've found is that the softer, the better. That's just been over time that I've found that. So memory foam mattress, as soft as you can go, is my recommendation for bedding. But kind of across the board, it's going to differ based on where you are, what these amenities might look like. But I think that don't necessarily bank on what you value being of value to your guests. Think about what your average traveler might like or take feedback from your travelers and kind of adjust as you go because you're always going to have an opportunity to upgrade. And so take advantage of that when people suggest something. That's your best feedback is criticism. So when somebody says, oh, this could have been a little bit better, that's your opportunity to go in and take care of that and do an upgrade so that all future guests are going to not have that same complaint or that same insight. They're going to be able to enjoy that amenity that you've provided for them. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more on that. And what about one of the most important amenities these days, Wi-Fi? <laughs> yeah, Wi-Fi is huge. And one point on Wi-Fi outside of the amenity side is that Wi-Fi security. So if you have a router that you have the ability to set separate Wi-Fi bands with different passwords, I highly recommend that. If you're on your own property and you're sharing Wi-Fi, it's a risk today with sensitive data being communicated online and through Wi-Fi. So I would definitely recommend people to have a router that enables multiple Wi-Fi access points and to upgrade their Wi-Fi. I upgraded to 100 megabytes per second. And it's great because especially if you're doing streaming video via Netflix, smart TV, everybody today has a smartphone or a tablet as well as a laptop. And so you never know if you're going to have somebody traveling for work or somebody that's trying to watch a movie or a couple that's trying to watch two movies at the same time. And so putting your Wi-Fi over the top is a great idea. One thing that I haven't done yet, but I need to do is on my listing to put a screenshot of the Wi-Fi speed. I think you've recommended this before. I think that's a great idea because for somebody looking for that, it really proves out to them what point you're at, upload speed, download speed, etc. And so I think that's great practice that I haven't put in, but that is on my list to do. Well, it's interesting that you mentioned that because I was going to ask you, because we talked before about underpromise over the liver. And so what are the things that are great about your listing that you are going to communicate. And those things should be the things that are the decision makers, right? And then the things that people won't use as decision makers, then you can use those things as like a little extra surprise. But I think you're right. I think fast internet is a decision maker for a lot of people. You know, if I look at myself, for me, it's like the number one and most important thing because if I don't have fast internet, then I can't record this podcast that we're recording right now. <laughs> so I basically can't do anything if I don't have fast internet. I would say it's the number one most important amenity in my particular case. And I'm, I think I agree with you. I think for a lot of people, they might not necessarily need it for work, but people, especially younger generations, they're looking movies, all sorts of stuff. And it just requires a very high bandwidth, right? So I think you're spot on on that. One thing I wanted to discuss before we finish this episode is you mentioned that you had a few people who showed up at your place and immediately wanted to cancel. Can you quickly touch on what happened and how did you deal with it? Sure. So I have this happen occasionally, maybe three times a year or so, but I'll have a guest show up and they might not even get out of the car or they might walk in the door and then turn right away. And for whatever reason, the neighborhood's not right for them or the property itself isn't right for them. So I have a moderate cancellation policy. And so under a moderate policy, uh, you're entitled generally to 50% of the total booking. 
if they've checked in. But I don't enforce that. Any person that has an issue with the property and, and wants to move on, I cancel immediately and then I give them a full refund. It's important to me that anybody coming has a, a good experience of San Diego. And I'm not going to try to hold somebody's feet to the fire if it's not a good fit for whatever reason. One thing I would recommend regarding that, if you have that issue, is to do your communications through the Airbnb platform, especially if you're claiming any sort of damages or if you're not giving a full refund, but a partial refund, and the guests might be looking for a full refund. You want Airbnb to be involved because they're kind of holding the purse strings in terms of who gets paid out what. And you want to document what you said, what the other person said, what you both experienced, rather than it being a he said, she said, if you were going through the phone or text messaging, and then you're trying to loop Airbnb back in on the back end. And so I just think that if you have that situation, be calm, be friendly, be professional. It's not a good experience for anybody. But if you have a good attitude about it, you can really get past it, move on to the next guest, deliver a great experience for them, go on from there. Great advice. And to finish this episode, if people want to reach out to you or connect with you in San Diego, what's the best place to go? Sure. I have a website, which is johnpatrickanderson.com. And my links to Twitter, Facebook, etc. are there. And if you are coming to San Diego, I'd be happy to uh, Jasper host you as well as any of your listeners. Just reach out and hope to connect with you then. Awesome. And of course, I'll put all the links and the resources mentioned in the show notes at getpaidforyourpet.com slash podcast. So you can find those there. So John, thank you so much. I think you've really shared a lot of good advice for all the Airbnb hosts out there and myself included. So really grateful for that. And good luck with your Airbnb ventures. I hope the rules in San Diego will stay Airbnb friendly and uh, I will definitely be down in California early this summer or in the spring. So hopefully I'll be able to make it to San Diego. Awesome. Well, thanks for this podcast, Jasper. It's a great source of knowledge for Airbnb hosts and I wish you all the best. Awesome. Thank you, John. And thanks to all the listeners for listening. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And of course, on Friday, there will be a new one. So hope to see you then. Bye-bye. Get paid for your pet. 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 Get paid for your pet.